Hallelujah. Amen. Now, Father, as we approach your word, we approach it reverently and humbly. Thank you for your precious, holy, written word. Thank you for the precious Lord Jesus, the living word of God. And as we approach the written word, we approach it reverently and humbly. Thank you for giving us utterance of the Holy Ghost. May each ear be a listening ear. May each mind be an open mind. May each heart be a receptive heart unto your word in Jesus' name. We'll give all praise, honor, and glory for everything that's wrought among us unto the worthy name of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Well, we just have to spend a little bit more time the first night talking, but we'll just get right into the situation from now on. We know which direction we're going. We know what we're believing, and we'll arrive there. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to open them to the fifth chapter of Mark. I preached a lot in the, from this particular portion of Scripture through the years. Some way or another, I seem to be led to... Uh, Began there tonight in this meeting. Mark chapter 5, the story of the woman with the issue of blood who touched Jesus' clothes and was healed. Now both uh, Matthew and Luke record the same story. I like Mark's account of it a little bit better. Mark chapter 5, beginning to read with the 25th verse, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now, uh, I want to share with you, and some in times past have heard me talk some along this line, but I haven't in a long time, uh, except recently in healing school. But it seemed to me that the Lord dealt with me to begin this meeting uh, in this vein and to share some things with you, both from the Word of God and from personal experience. I uh, was holding a meeting the latter part of uh, November and the first part of December of 1953 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I uh, was staying in the home of some people who were members of the church. Actually, they, uh, I had only met them in the summer. I was preaching a meeting in a church, well, in the spring and summer. I was preaching a meeting in a church, and uh, their son-in-law was associate pastor in this church. And they came to visit their daughter and son-in-law, so I became acquainted with them. And they asked the pastor if it'd be all right for them to invite me, if I wanted to, stay in their home. 
And so I uh, traveled alone. My wife was home with the children in those days. They're still in school. I did have a singer and his wife, and they stayed in the motel. But I uh, decided to stay because both of them worked, and I had just a full run of the house in the daytime, you know. And uh, so on Friday night of the first week of December of 1953, they had asked if it would be all right with me, and it was with me, that they would invite their three daughters and three sons-in-law, for in the meantime, this son-in-law preacher was in that area, pastor, preaching. And so they invited them in after service on Saturday night. We had nothing on Sunday, I mean Friday night, nothing on Saturday. And then my uh, singer and his wife. And we were getting ready to eat. We men were seated in the living room and suddenly there was a, a spirit of prayer that fell on me. Now sometimes you can have an urge to pray. We need to learn to obey those urges because people have missed a lot by not doing so. But then sometimes... Uh, it's greater than just an urge. Sometimes it's such a spirit and such a burden of prayer that it seems like you have to do it right now. If you don't, you're just going to burst wide open. Now, all of these people were Pentecostal, full gospel, tongue talkers, and they would understand some things. Uh, We need to realize this, that sometimes if you're around people who do not understand certain things, you, you, you need to be careful. If there had been folks that didn't understand, I would have excused myself and went to the privacy of my own bedroom to pray. But all of these are full gospel people. So I just simply said to them, they're about ready to serve the each, but I said, I've got to pray. And I've got to pray now. And so our host said to, to the lady, said, you ladies come, but they've got to pray. Let's pray. So we all knelt to pray. Well, I'll tell you, by the time my knees hit the floor, I was in the spirit. I don't think I ever said one single word in English. I just took off in tongues. As we say, speaking from the natural standpoint, just praying up a storm in other tongues. And I prayed as hard and as fast as you could pray in other tongues for about 45 or 50 minutes, almost an hour. I mean, didn't hardly get my breath. Now, from experience, you'll learn if you, if you pray much in the spirit... I don't mean just rattle off a few words in tongues. That's not praying in the Spirit. Are you listening to me? But if you have experience in this area, you'll learn the difference of different types of burdens. And you'll know more of sometimes who you're praying for and most of the time not. But you'll know whether it's for somebody that's lost or whether it's for somebody that's sick or whatever. I knew I was praying for somebody that was lost. Because you see... uh, An intercessor is one who takes the place of another. And you see, when you intercede, you take the place of the one that's a sinner. You'll actually feel in your spirit, like your spirit's alienated from God. You'll feel on the inside. I've I've had a number of experiences along this line, but I remember as a young Baptist boy preacher, when after I first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, way back 1937, and then received the left foot of fellowship from among the Baptists in 1938, and came over among the, the Pentecostals. And in 1939, my, my wife and I were holding a meeting in January of 1939. Actually, we began the meeting the last uh, Sunday night of 1938 in a little, little full gospel church in the Black Land, North Central Texas. Well, we stayed in the parsonage with the pastor and his wife, and every day about 10.30, we'd have a special time of prayer for the services. We only had night services. Now, you have to understand that, uh, you know, 
I, I, I've only had the baptism of the Holy Ghost at this time, less than two years. And I've had some experience of praying in other tongues, but I've never had one like this. We were just praying and, and a real greater spirit of burden of prayer. And, and I really didn't know. I began to seek the Bible afterwards. I had the experience without knowing what the Word said. And uh, it, it just seemed like that I was lost. I remember I cried out, I'm lost, 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 lost. I'm lost, I'm lost, lost. Well, I knew I wasn't lost. Yet, on the other hand, you felt that way in here. And, and you cried that out, you see. Because, see, you're taking the place of someone who is lost. Amen. And then I saw, folks, it, it, looked, like a, it looked like a river first, a water flowing. And then it went over a you know, like a waterfall over a precipice. And, and, and then it became people instead of water. If you're a student of the Bible, you know very often in the Bible, water is a type of people and multitudes. And so they went over this precipice down into hell. You could see the, the, the lake of fire and the smoke and so on. And it seemed like I went right with them. And I began to cry out, you know. And they said that, watch me. I mean, the pastor's wife and my wife, you know, I'd run my tongue out of my, out of my mouth. You know, cry out for water. Oh, cool my tongue. And, and, and I thought, dear Lord, what in the world am I doing? I mean, you know. And I prayed that away for, oh, I don't know, for, I'd say, between a half an hour to an hour. Now, I went out to church that night and had something I never had before. You know, we'd have two or three people answer the altar call. Back in those days in full gospel circles, uh, you know, if we had a revival meeting and, and we had a half a dozen saved and three baptized the Holy Ghost, we thought we had a landslide. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir, and in my little country Baptist church, you know, I mean, uh, uh, once in a while, about ever about one weekend out of three, why well, uh, two or three people might come to front forward. We'd even had an altar, but uh, but I preached about fifteen minutes that night. Then, just just about fifteen minutes, and the power of God fell on that crowd, and every single sinner. And every single backslider in the building, you didn't have to beg them. You didn't have to try to get them to come. Nobody did any personal work. They just got up like one man and came to the altar. Pastor said to me afterwards, said, every single sinner in this building and every single backslider came to the altar. I realized that's what I was doing, was interceding for them. Amen. Praise God. Are you listening to me? Now, from experience in that area, I realized that I'm interceding for somebody. There in Phoenix, I'm talking about, that first Friday night of December of 1953. I'm interceding for somebody that's lost. Now, once you enter in, let me give you another little, little, little drop in another little thought here. Once you enter into that kind of praying, stay with it until you have a note of victory. Stay with it till you have a note of praise. Either sing in the spirit or laugh. Hallelujah. And then whatever it was you were praying about, which you may know or never know, sometimes God will let you know, whatever it was, you've got the answer. Amen. So I uh, got to that place where I had that spirit of praise. I began to sing in tongues, laugh in the spirit. And I knew whoever it was that was lost, amen, I had the, the victory for them. Salvation, in other words. Then on this occasion, which will not happen with me very often, but once in a while, you know, maybe every six, seven years, five years, uh, then I had a vision. Now, this is Friday night. I saw the Sunday night service. I saw the building full as it usually was on Sunday night. I saw myself in the pulpit. 
I heard myself preaching. And in fact, uh, and I was preaching, I wasn't teaching. I was sermonizing. I had four points to my sermon. In fact, it's a brand new sermon. I got a new sermon that way. You know, you get one that way, it'll last. Amen. There's been three times in my ministry that I've got a sermon that way, a new one. I saw myself in a vision beforehand in the pulpit preaching. I heard myself read the text. I heard myself announce my points. And it's all new to me. So I wrote them down afterwards and preached it then that night, just like I saw myself do it. Got me a new one. Praise the Lord. And then after I had finished my sermon and gave the altar call, you see, I saw myself lean over the pulpit and point to a gentleman. There were three sections of pews in this church auditorium. The church auditorium would seat comfortably 900. You could crowd 1,000 into it. And in those days, that was a good crowd for Sunday night. And I saw myself point to a man on the second pew from the front, the center section, the second person from the aisle. And I said to him, friend, the Lord shows me that you're a sinner and that you're past 70 years of age and that you've been raised up to believe that there is no hell. But he told me to tell you that you've got one foot in hell now and the other slipping in. And I saw the man come from where he, because we were standing up singing invitation, where he stood come to the altar and be saved. Well, these folks in the room there, they knew I'd seen something. They asked me. I described the man. This is their home church. And they said, well, no, that's not anybody we know. And so we went out to church Sunday night. They said later, well, we had the fellow located just like you said. I mean, you know, he's dressed like you said. And so I preached. I did just what I just acted out, what I saw myself do. Praise God. Sometimes, now not often, don't misunderstand me at all. See, you can't force God into doing anything. You just have to learn to flow with him. Flow with the spirit. But sometimes in ministering to the sick, to the ears... Uh, in praying in tongues. Always happens when I'm praying in tongues. This, this particular thing does. I, I'd see the service the next night or the next service. In this case, it was Sunday night. We had no service Saturday night. And, and, and I'd, I'd see myself ministering to people for healing. Then go out and act that out. And we've had people walk right off of stretchers and everything in the world. Amen. Marvelous healing. See, just go out and act it out. But you saw it in the spirit ahead of time. I wonder sometimes if that may not be what Jesus meant when he said, whatever I see my father do, that's what I do. Amen. Praise God. Now, uh, this man afterwards, after the meeting's all over, he hugged my neck, he hugged the pastor's neck. He said to the pastor, you know, to, to the two of us, said, you know, this is the first time I've ever been inside of a church building in my life. See, nobody in that church knew him. How could they pray for him? They don't know him. I didn't know him. How could you pray for him? That's one of the great advantages about praying in the Spirit. It provides a way for things to be prayed for don't anybody know anything about. But the Holy Ghost knows. The Holy Ghost knew he'd be there. First time I've ever been inside of a church building in my life. Then he said to the pastor, said, this preacher said that I was past 70. He said, actually, I'm almost 72. My next birthday, I'll be 72. I think about a month and a half. He said, then he said, I was raised up to believe there is no hell. He said, my parents were universalist. They taught me that there is no hell. And then he said, I had one foot in hell and the other slipping in. I knew exactly what he meant. Right here in Phoenix, he said, the heart specialist said you could just die any moment. He had a heart attack, see. You could just die any minute. But thank God he's gloriously born again. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, friends, we need to realize that there's going to be, you know, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Amen. Make you fishers. He didn't say, I'll make you, you know, I'll help you to talk about fishing. I'll, I'll help you to write a book on fishing. Amen. I'll make you fishers of men. Well, you've got to realize in soul winning, that's really what we're doing is fishing. We preach, you know, throw out the net. Amen. Sometimes, you know, we just working on one, we just dangle a little line out there, a little something, you know. Fishers. God will make you fishers. And many folks will be saved that way. But you've got to realize that there are those that will never be born again any other way except somebody intercedes on their behalf. Amen. Amen. We need all of it. Praise God. Somebody said, which one's right? All of it is. Now then, right on the tail end, I thought, that's, that's not what I was going to share with you, but I thought it'd be interesting. Sometimes some of these little side trips help folks much as anything. Amen. I thought it'd be interesting. So, uh, after this vision, now after that time of prayer, nearly an hour in other tongues, the food got cold. And uh, praying in the spirit and seeing that vision of the man coming and being saved. Then I'm praising God on my knees now and worshiping the Lord. And suddenly there stood Jesus right in front of me. This is plain as any man ever saw in my life. And Jesus, now see this is the first Friday night of December of 1953. And so Jesus said, uh, he began to talk to me about my ministry. I'd been praying about ministry. He began to talk to me about uh, some spiritual things. He talked to me about my finances. And uh, he even talked to me about the United States. And at that time, Mr. Eisenhower was president. And he told me why he was president. And that he had something to do with him being becoming president. You know, God's interested. Amen. Amen. People talk about you know, uh, you know, Christians oughtn't to be concerned. Yeah, well, we live here. Amen. 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 Praise God. We live here. The Holy Ghost. I like to put it this way: the Holy Ghost through the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Now, Timothy, you have to understand, at the time Paul wrote this letter to him, was, was serving as pastor. And he said to him, I exhort, therefore. I don't believe that was just Paul talking out of his head. I believe that's the Holy Ghost. I believe that's God. Amen. Through the apostle Paul said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, number one, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, in those days they had mostly kings that headed up the government. For kings, and for all that are in authority. Well now, you know, if you're a student of history, that those kings, about mighty few of them was ever real Christians and born again. You mean God will answer prayer and will bless even, even in those circumstances? Yes. Notice, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Amen. You see, you are there. God will do some things because you are there and because Christians are there. Amen. He talked to me about some of those things. And he talked to me about finances. And he said to me, 54 is the year for more. 
Hallelujah. Well, it was with me. 54 was a year for more spiritually. 54 was a year for more in ministry. 54 was a year for more in finances. In fact, the Lord gave my wife and I uh, two homes that year. That uh, 54. <laughs> two of them. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You say, God interested in things like that? What kind of God do you think he is? You don't think he's as stupid as you are, do you? You're interested in things like that, aren't you? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. It was a year for more. Then he said to me, be faithful. Fulfill your ministry for the time is short. Well, if the time was short, then it's 31 years shorter now. Amen. And then he turned just like somebody talking to you, you know, and would walk out of the room, you know, turn like he's just going to walk out of the room. And I said, dear Lord, before you go, may I ask you something, please? <laughs> now, don't you misunderstand me at all? Afterwards. Afterwards, when you get back into the natural, you get back into the physical, you get back into the mental realm, because, see, that's not a physical experience. It's not a mental experience. It's a spiritual experience. It's a divinely granted appearance. That's what the Greek says there in, the, in, in, in Acts 2, you know, where it said your young men shall have visions or see visions. Well, the Amplified has it that way. Your young men shall have divinely granted appearances. Amen. And so, and your old men will dream dreams. So on. So, when you get back in the natural, though, well, in your mind, you know, you think of, we say, a thousand and two or a thousand and one thing. I don't know that there's that many, but it seems like there are. You know what I mean? We use that, you know, just from a standpoint of illustration, you know. And you, you think to yourself, boy, if that ever happens again, I'm going to ask him this. I mean, if he ever appears to me again, something like that happens again, I'm going to ask him that. If that ever happens again, I'm going to ask him this. You know, and this comes, and this comes, and this comes. But then you have another experience like that, and you don't think of a one of them. <laughs> because it isn't a mental experience. That's all in your mind. It's a spiritual experience. And the only thing you think of is whatever's in your heart. Whatever's laying heavy on your heart. And so this was the only thing that was on my spirit and on my heart at that time. I said to the Lord, may I ask you a question, please? And he turned and, and retraced his steps and came right back and stood within three or four feet in front of me. I'm still kneeling now on my knees. And he said, uh, yes, you may. Well, I said, now, I have two messages that I preach one of them is a sermon, the other more of a Bible lesson. Now, actually, one preacher said, I wouldn't preach anything that I couldn't teach and wouldn't teach anything I couldn't preach. Some people wonder, the difference, wonder about the difference sometimes between preaching and teaching. Well, to preach means to proclaim, simply, a definition, and to teach means to explain. So a lot of times we proclaim a lot of things without just explaining them, you know. Amen. And sometimes we do both of them. Sometimes we sort of preach, teach, and sometimes just preach, sometimes just teach. Amen. Well, anyway, I said to him, I have two messages that I preach from this story of the woman. I got to realize now that that's, that was uh, 
this happened to me 31 years ago. See, a lot of times folks, that's the reason the Lord said to me, get back to the ABCs of faith. They hear you preach today, and they hear you teach today and say something, but see, you are giving a, a sum total of account of uh, not just what happened then, but all through the 31 years up to now. And you didn't even know some of those things back there then. Just as foreign to you as uh, being an astronaut and landing on Mars day before yesterday. Amen. But I'm telling you how I got to some of those things. And so I said, uh, those two sermons or messages, I got by revelation or inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Now, incidentally, I was holding a meeting there in... Uh, Rockwall, Texas, a little tent meeting when the Lord appeared to him in that first vision. Rockwall's 10 miles away from Garland. That's where we lived at that time. We lived there 17 years before we moved to Tulsa. And uh, I was driving my car that 10 miles over to Rockwall, little two-lane road, you know, singing in other tongues. Now, I had been thinking about the night service and had uh, read this account of the woman with the issue of blood and decided I'd speak along that line, but really I hadn't, it, nothing had jailed. Now, now, understand this, that I'm sermonizing. I wasn't asked to do it to teach. This is a revival meeting, as we called it. They wanted me to preach, so I'm preaching, not teaching. I could have done either one of them. And so uh, when you're sermonizing, you, you, you think a little bit different than you do when you're teaching. You think in the, uh, particularly in the uh, uh, a sermon outline, certain points, you know. Well, I hadn't really got settled on anything. I just, uh, and so I'm just driving along, singing in other tongues. Way back there in 1950, going to church, tent meeting, not, not much traffic. When suddenly... It's just like something dropped down on you. You know, if you was walking down this aisle or come down here and sat down, or, and, and somebody come along, you know, and just took their coat off and dropped it down on you, you could feel that. That's exactly the way it felt. Just like something dropped down on me. And then, when that dropped down on me, this came up out of my spirit. A, a sermon outline for that night. Not a title, I didn't have any title to it, but a sermon outline for that night. And so I just whipped my car over to the shoulder of the road real quick and looked in my Bible because I always carry, I got, got, got them here. Uh, the, the little cards like that, three by five. Index cards, you see. The Lord said something, write it down. Leave a little pad. See, we didn't have tape recorder. No tape recorder. We had these great big ones, you know, great big reel. Didn't even have those little five inch reels. You couldn't very well carry one of them around with you. Now, you know, we can carry that little cord around with you. The Lord say something, you see. Well, in the nighttime, I'd keep a pad and pencil right by my bed, right down. Because sometimes you wake up and, and the Lord say something to you. Or you're praying in the Spirit. Does with me at least. So I just wrote that down. Now, there's the original right there. And, and this is just it. There's the sermon outline right there. Just the top part of that. That's something else down here. See right there, just, just those two inches. Well, not even two inches, about an inch and a half. Here's my outline. A destitute condition, an encouraging report, a desperate act, a different touch, and a glorious sequence. That's a good outline, you evangelist. If I was evangelist, I'd go preach that. In fact, I did. <laughs> Amen. That's a good outline. Sure it is. Tells the story, just what happened here. Now, incidentally, you might be interested because this was also given to me about a little afterwards. You want to see something? 
I wrote this down. See this, he's lying there and this here. Now listen. Here's what God said to me. And I wrote it down. For if you will go on from here. Now he's talking about spiritual, you understand. He's not, not talking about going to Houston to Dallas. Or to Galveston. If you will go on from here. You will not count them upon your fingers or in ones and twos and threes who are saved and delivered from sickness and disease and so on. For there shall be too many to count that way. And at times more than can be counted by man. Now when he said that to me, we was getting people saved by the twos and threes. But that's come to pass in the last 31 years, you see. That's the original right there. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Came to pass. Now, I always, you know, when the Holy Ghost gives you a sermon, you can preach it more than once. Now, if you worked up one, and you know, we do. The Bible said, study the show, you have to prove unto God to work me and not be ashamed, right? Divide the word of truth. But I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, I started out as Baptist. I, uh, I, had a, I, I took a course from the Union Bible Seminary in New York City. On homiletics and sermon building, you know, 21 lessons. And uh, I was always a great sermon builder and sermonizer. I don't preach much anymore, mostly teach. But uh, I-, I learned to preach from notes. I always made notes of everything I ever preached until recent time. Remember when I first came over among Pentecostals, if you preached them notes, they wouldn't listen to you, they thought you was backslid. They believe just open your mouth and I'll fill it. <laughs> Trouble a lot of times they got filled with the wrong thing. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that shuts you down, you know, so I'd have to hide my notes. I'm talking about 1938, 37, 38, 39. I- I'd hide them, you know. See, you don't even know you're preaching the notes, boy, they won't listen to you. <laughs> but that's the way I learn. Never how you learn, that's the way you'll do it. Amen. And, and I've got notes, you know, that, that goes way back. And I, some of them's unpreachable. Dear Lord, I mean, I mean, they wouldn't even stand one preaching. And some of them, one preaching, just did them in. That was it. That's no issue. I remember one time preaching from notes. I heard Brother Ernest S. Williams, who was superintendent of the Assemblies of God at that time, make this statement, you know, when he was an older man. He said, uh, I... Uh, in my day, when we came up, we didn't, you know, I was in the old holiness church first, holiness group. And then we got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and come over, you know, Pentecost started. But he said, we didn't preach from notes. I never learned to preach from notes. Now, he was encouraging we young preachers to do that. But he said, I never learned to preach, you know. And it's hard for me to do that yet. Because, you know, I've been preaching all these years, you know, never learned to preach from notes. But he said, some people said, well, what about, you know, preaching from notes? Well, he said, I'll tell you. There in Springfield in our backyard, we have a couple of cherry trees. And cherry pie is one of my favorites. Now, when it's cherry season, my wife goes out there and picks those cherries and makes me a cherry pie. But you see, she also gathers them in and cans them. Puts them in a, you know, jar, cans them. Puts them up on the shelf. In the wintertime, snow's on the ground. She just goes in the pantry, gets one of those jars, and makes me a cherry pie. Woo, I enjoy it. I'm let he said a lot of things God's given me get away from me because I didn't write it down, didn't make notes. So we need to, need to learn that. 
Are you listening to me? So, I'd always preach this one, though, in every crusade. See? Every crusade I'd preach. I got it in 1950, you see. So, I'm preaching down in Alabama in March of 1951. And so, one night, I, I read from uh, Mark 5 about this woman at the issue of blood. And I start out on this sermon, see? A desperate condition. Twelve years. Suffered many things. Many physicians. Nothing bettered. Rather grew worse. Spent all of her living. If that's not a destitute condition, what is it? But an encouraging report. When she heard of Jesus. Somebody told her about Jesus. And I got down there on that encouraging report. And I glanced down at my Bible. And when I did, three words out of one verse stood up on the page. Now, now what do you mean stood up on the page? I mean three words out of the verse of Scripture look like there's in big bold print and the rest of it just a regular kind of print. You know, I sort of blinked my eyes and kept preaching about an encouraging report. Somebody told her about Jesus and glanced again at my Bible. When I did, those three words stood up in big bold print. Looked like it was about three times bigger print than the rest of it. So I kept preaching and I glanced down at my Bible again. And there they were. Those three words just stood up there on the page. And I... Uh, I saw something I didn't see before. Now those three words, the first three words of that 28th verse, for she said. You see, I preached from Mark 11, 23 and Mark 11, 24, but I didn't preach that from Mark 5. I didn't see it before. Now afterwards, after the service is over, I looked at that verse of scripture in my Bible and it's all the same print. The Holy Ghost just amplified that. For she said. So I took off on another sermon. I got me a new one now. See, now yeah, I've been preaching so many times since then that you thought you know it. I always knew that. <laughs> or you thought I read it out of a book somewhere. I remember one time I was preaching for a pastor up in North Texas and he asked me, he said, Brother Egan, did you ever read after Dr. Kenyon? I said, no, I never heard of him. Much less read after him. Oh, he said, he preaches faith and healing just like you do. Well, I said, he's, be, he's to be commended if he's preaching the truth. I know I am. Glory to God, I began to read some of it. He's saying some things just exactly the way I said it. No, I got it right here. I mean, that stood up on the page. For she said, and I just took off. I left this text, I mean this outline, and took off on saying. For she said, for she said, for she said, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And then I'd read the whole thing, you know, and I remember that 34th verse said, he said, daughter, thy faith made thee whole. So I said, what you say is your faith speaking. Praise God. And so I took off on that, didn't have any notes then, but you know, uh, right there in front of me. But then I, afterwards I wrote them down. See, you can see that card's old. 30, you know, right at 30 years old. 31, two, three years old. And that's just the way it. See, I wrote small in those days. I could see real well. <laughs> I, uh, I write a little bigger now. Somewhere or another you can see better. 
you're right a little bigger, you know, some way or another. I don't know what it is, whether your arm gets shorter or what it is. <laughs> Any of you folks having that trouble? I know how old you are now. You're past 40. Amen. Well, I'll not go into detail about that one because there's too much involved there. So I said to the Lord, I, I, I preach these two or teach them, you know, preach, teach, whatever, these two messages in every crusade. I get those over in nighttime. See, to begin with, I only had night services. Then I, I began to have day services, teach them in the daytime. And I said, I get them over in every, in, you know, I preach them in every crusade. Those are two of my, in other words, when I did start the day, sir, those are always two of my night ones. But I'm always conscious of the fact, seemed to me like now, I can be wrong, that there's another message, there, there's another sermon, there's another message, there's another outline that, uh, uh, that goes with these two, that complements them, you know, that'll add to it, so on. Now, if I'm right... While I'm here, I wish you'd give me, give me that sermon outline, if I'm right. He said, you're right, and get your pencil and paper and write it down. I'll give it to you. Now, it's not often. That's the only time I ever got a sermon just like that. Now, I've got one by seeing myself standing in the pulpit preaching now. But that's the only one I ever got this that way. Jesus said, get your pencil and paper. Now, I'm kneeling there in this living room of this home. There is the, uh, the man and his wife who, in whose home I'm staying. There are three daughters and their husbands, which would be eight. And then uh, my singer and his wife. She played the organ, played the piano, and he sang. So there's, uh, you know, ten of us. Them and then me, I make eleven. So I open my eyes. Now this is a spiritual vision. Now understand this, that there are three types of visions. There are three types of revelations. Now, the lowest type of vision and the highest type of revelation are very similar. In fact, sometimes you can't hardly tell the difference between them. The lowest type of vision is a spiritual vision. That is, you see with the eyes of your spirit. The second highest type of vision is when you fall into a trance. Your physical senses are suspended. The Bible said uh, Peter went out on the housetop to pray and fell into a trance. Fell into a trance. You understand the New Testament is originally written in Greek. The Greek literally says he fell over bodily. He fell over bodily. Your physical senses are suspended. You're not unconscious. You didn't pass out. You didn't faint. But your physical senses are suspended. And right at the moment, you know, just in that second, you really don't know where you are. Now, several times I've had, uh, I fell into a trance and had a vision. I was preaching right here in Houston over at uh, the Guff Gate Assembly. In December of 1962. And I was relating one night there. Uh, an experience I had. A vision. And I saw how that I had misinterpreted. Part of what God said to me. 
You know, it's very easy to put, to put a wrong interpretation onto a right thing, right manifestation, but you put your own. And so I just knelt down and asked the Lord to forgive me. And about that time then, I'll tell you, I, I couldn't have fell any flatter if you took a ball bat and just something came like a wind blowing and flattened me out, right flat in the floor. And, uh, you know, my wife didn't seem to be perturbed. Some of the congregation, you know, they just jump up and then they sit back down. They, they looked at her, you know, they thought I had a heart attack, fell out or something. Some of them asked her, you were, oh, no, no. She said, he's just none of his power. No, I'm not bothered. I'm... <laughs> and I saw, now see, that's way back there. See, now that's, that's uh, this past December, 22 years ago. And as I'm lying there on the floor, you see, now right at the moment, you don't know you're lying there on the floor. You're not unconscious. You didn't pass out. But right in the second, you see, Peter saw that great sheep let down from heaven. You remember? I saw, in fact, you see, I, I saw this beautiful flower garden. And I'm walking up the path from the east to this garden. And the garden had a white picket fence around it. And there's all kind of beautiful flowers. Beautiful flowers. I mean that whole garden was just simply a blaze with every flower in bloom. And in the middle of the garden was a, an arbor, you know. A, and, and these running flowers, you know, that grow up over it, you see. And it was full of flowers. Every one of them in bloom. And I, 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 I'm looking that over and as I walk toward, well, from the east to a little white picket gate. About that time, I saw Jesus standing there. He's, he's had on a white robe. And when I got up to the gate, he took my hand in his, took his other hand, left hand, reached inside and unlatched the gate and opened it, pulled me through, then pulled the gate to, and then took my right hand in both of his and led me down this pathway through these flowers. Such an aroma. You never smell such an aroma. So beautiful. And, and then it looked like from these flowers, they looked like, a, looked like an incense. It looked like smoke was just going up toward heaven. And we came to this little arbor in the middle of the beautiful flower garden. And there was a marble bench on either side, north and south side. And so he sat down on this marble bench on the south side and pulled me down beside me. Never said a word. Hadn't said a word. And then I happened to look to the west and I saw flowing into that garden a river. Way back up there, it, it went back up in the sky. And way back up in the sky, it looked like it must be uh, 50 yards wide. But as it came down and came into that garden, it what, what must not have been over a few feet wide. Water just come tumbling into it and yet... You know, you saw no water other than come tumbling into it. And, and so, you know, I blinked my eyes and looked at it and I said, Lord, well, what does this mean? What, what's the meaning of this? What is, a, what is this garden? And these beautiful flowers and that beautiful aroma just, just wafting its way up toward heaven. And this river flowing into this garden. It's a river of people. What does it mean? And Jesus said, the river, as you saw, the water turned to people. Those are people that I'll visit in these last days 
from other churches and even other religions besides Christianity. Wherever I can find hungry hearts, I'll visit them and bring them into full salvation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And those, those that come in, that river are those that will come in. You see them flowing into this garden. And the beautiful aroma, like incense ascending up into heaven, is the praises of these people as they praise and worship me for visiting them. Hallelujah. Now, now, sitting there on that marble bench beside Jesus, looking toward the west, you see, then, right in front of my eyes, the river ceased. You didn't see the fire garden. I saw myself. I saw myself. I saw myself preaching for other churches. Preaching in them. I saw myself stand in the pulpit and preach in a Baptist church. I saw people come to the front. I saw myself preaching in Presbyterian church. I saw myself preaching in Disciples of Christ, Christian church. I saw myself preaching in other denominational churches. And lo and behold, to my other astonishment, I was raised Southern Baptist. And then, you know, come over among the Pentecostals. I even saw myself preaching for the Roman Catholics. And you know, everything I saw has come to pass. I said, everything I saw has come to pass. Everything I saw has come to pass. I've been, I've been right there. I preached in churches that are still, was then, Southern Baptist. I mean, they're still in the movement. I asked him about it. Well, he said, they haven't bothered me yet. We had 150 come and be baptized with the Holy Ghost in that church. Hallelujah. In one week's meeting. People fall under the power in that Baptist church all over the front. Disciples of Christ, Christian, yes, sir, yes, sir. I asked the pastor about it. Yeah, he said, I'm, we, we, we're still here. In fact, he said they don't know what to do with us. Because he said, you see, you know, they measure us by those that join the church and are baptized in water. We have more church folks, more people join the church, more people have been baptized in water in our church than any other church in our state in the, in the Disciples of Christ. Think about that. Think about that. They, they, they don't understand it. Well, again, we had a uh, hundred and some odd in his church. He, he already had about 400 baptized the Holy Ghost before I got there. And now then another 150 filled with the Holy Ghost. Falling under the power. Glory to God. Presbyterian church? Yes, sir. Preach there. A Roman Catholic? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Preach there. Amen. Roman Catholic priest said to me, I gave him a testimony of healing. He said to me, you know, and, and what got me was before I, before I spoke, they sang. And a Roman Catholic priest played a guitar. And they sang the old Pentecostal songs we used to sing 25 years ago in Pentecost. And worship God. My wife and I said, oh, we went away weeping. We had that kind of spirit 25 years ago. And we've lost it in so many of our churches. 
Same thing, that freshness, that joy. Now, remember that, that priest said to me, he said, well, how stupid can you get, dear Lord? You know, said, we always believed in the miraculous in our church. They do. People talk about what they don't believe. Think about a little bit of what they do believe. That's the reason God can meet them. There's a deposit of truth that he can bless them on. I don't mean he's blessing everything. He's not blessing everything you believe. <laughs> Amen. Are you listening? But there's a, there's a deposit of truth. And, and uh, he, he said, you know, we believed in the miraculous. We believed in healing. We believe Jesus healing here. He's here. We believe folks would be healed, you know, in some of the places where sometimes they would have vision. Some folks did get healed some of these places. But he said, it's so simple. I, I don't know why we never thought about just believing the Bible. Well, you was healed. But he said, thank God the word works today. Well, thank God it does. Thank God it does. Can you say amen? amen? Second type of vision, you fall into a trance. Now, the third type of vision, you want to know what kind that is? Come back tomorrow night and I'll tell you. <laughs> third type is what we call an open vision. That is with your, just like you're there right now. You didn't fall into a trance. Your physical senses wasn't suspended. But just exactly like you are now. In the natural, you see, you, you see. Either Jesus or whatever he wants you to see. Amen. The open vision is the highest type of vision. The uh, fall into a trance is the second highest class of vision. And the spiritual vision is the lowest class of vision. Now, uh, I'll not go into the three revelations right now. I just don't have time. That's not my sermon anyway. I in my message anyway. But the lowest type of vision, the highest type of revelation are very similar. Is that you see in your spirit or with the eyes of your spirit. Now, for instance, this vision there in that home was a spiritual vision. That's the lowest type of vision. I saw all of that with my eyes shut. You see, when Jesus said, get your pencil and paper and write it down, I'll give that outline to you. Then I opened my eyes and I looked around and saw the, my singer's wife. And I said to her, go out of the living room, in the hall, she knew where the bedroom was. And on, in the bedroom there, my bedroom, there's a little pad and pencil lying there. Bring it to me. And so she rushed out of the room, brought it back to me, handed the pad and the pencil to me. And uh, then I shut my eyes. When I shut my eyes, there stood Jesus. He picked up right where he left. Now, that's the kind of vision that Paul had on the road to Damascus. Now, he calls that a vision, you know. The Bible said, suddenly a light shined around about him brighter than the noonday sun. And he heard a voice, the ninth chapter of Acts, heard a voice speaking to him from heaven, saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Hard for thee to kick against the bricks. Remember that? Now, when Paul recites that, though, see, that's Luke writing the account of it. Luke wrote Acts. But Paul, in his given account of it, before King Felix and Agrippa, you remember? Said he saw the Lord. Said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Remember that? See, his eyes were shut because the scripture said, go back to the ninth chapter of Acts now, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. He could not see. Now, he wasn't blind because he is stricken with disease or sickness. For the glory of that light, 
Paul said, I could not see for the glory of that light. You look right up there in that TV light. Oh, my goodness. And for a minute, you can't see anything. Well, that light was brighter than the noonday sun. Amen? And he had to be released from that by Ananias coming and laying hands on him. That's not really a case of healing because healing is a renewal of the body from a diseased condition and his eyes were not diseased. He could not see for the glory of that light. But the point I want to make here is Jesus did appear to him because he said he saw him, but he saw him with his eyes shut. His physical eyes were shut. It was a spiritual vision. Now the minute that I shut my eyes, there stood Jesus, same spot. He said, write down, and I wrote it down. I have the original. I wrote it down just exactly the way he said it. Write one, two, three, four. And I wrote that down with my eyes shut. And I got the original piece of paper. It's amazing how good you can write when you're in the Spirit. I wrote one, two, three, four. And I left space because I knew there'd be four points and there'd be something between I need to write down. Amen. Now then, before he gave me the four points, he just simply said, write down one, two, three, four. He said to me, and listen to me real carefully, because if what I'm about to tell you is the truth, you need to hang on to it like it is a life and death matter. You know, when it gets to be a life and death matter, people get serious, don't they? Don't they? Now, he said, if anybody, anywhere, Say that out loud. Anybody, Anybody. Anywhere. anywhere. Well, recently the Lord just simply brought that back to my spirit. I guess that's one reason I'm going along this line. He just kept speaking to me along that line about anybody, anywhere. Anybody, anywhere. You see, anybody, anywhere applies to us today just as much as it did then. Anybody applies to you. Anywhere applies right here or anywhere else. If anybody, anywhere, will take these four steps or will put these four principles into operation, they will always, everybody say always, always always receive from me are from God the Father, whatever they want. Now, if that's the truth, we need to listen to it. Now, in the case of this woman, it was healing. That's what she wanted. You could understand anybody in her condition, that would be the greatest desire and need of her life, wouldn't it? Twelve years that way, spent all of her living, suffered many things and many physicians. That had to be the number one want of her life, desire of her life. Now, he didn't give me any title to the sermon. I wrote my own title to it. Bless some people's heart. (laughs) They'll uh, have conniptious fits almost about it. But I called it How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. Some folks said, well, you can't write your own ticket with God. Who's going to write it then? Well, God is. That's ignorance gone to seed. Didn't this woman write her ticket? He said, daughter, your faith made you whole. He didn't say, daughter, my faith made you whole. Did he? He didn't say, daughter, the apostles' faith made you whole. Did he? He said, your faith did it. Your faith did it. Well, there must be four steps that she took then. Mustn't they? I said, mustn't they? Now, 
He did not explain to me. I'm quoting him verbatim. If anybody, anywhere, will take these four steps or will put these four principles into operation, they will always receive from me or from God the Father whatever they need or whatever they want. He used both need and want. Now listen. If that's the truth, we need to listen to it. If that's the truth, it can be proven by more than one section of Scripture, not just this one, because the Bible said in the mouth two, three witnesses, every word be established. Now, he didn't explain the difference between steps or principles. I knew what he meant. I better explain that to you instead of just proclaiming it. What's the difference between steps or principles? When do they become principles that you put in motion? Well, you see, anything, now listen to me real carefully now, anything that God promises you or says he's provided for you, like salvation, new birth, baptism, Holy Ghost, healing for your body, you can take these four steps and you're right there. can be yours now. But there are some things that have to be a process. And so they become principles that you put into operation over a period of time then. What do you mean? All right, for instance, I had a young man, not this same young man that was with me at the time of, that, of the vision, but a young man that had been with me uh, before. See, that's 53. In 1951, he and his wife went. He sang, well, both of them sang beautifully. And uh, she played piano or accordion. And he'd play guitar. And, and so he took a church down in East Texas. And he asked me, he said, Brother Egan, I realize you don't go to small churches like that, but would you? I, I said, yeah, I'll come. I'll, I'll come hold your meeting. I mean, if, uh, you know, you go. So he went, preached his first sermon. I've been, been preaching to the young people. But preached his first sermon, his first church, and got elected 100%. I think all 27 of them voted for him. And it's the will of God. No doubt about that, see. Well, in the process of time, I went down there. About a year later, I went down there and preached for him. And we had a tremendous meeting. In fact, at the same time, they had the county fair on. And one of the deputy sheriffs came by and stopped up there. And he said, you people have got more people up here on the church grounds than they got down there at the county fair. I mean, the building was full. And they're standing 15 and 20 deep all around. In fact, behind the platform, I came in back at the back. And they couldn't even see me. They could hear me because the window's up, August 52, see. I'd wade through people 10, 12 deep way back there in the back to get in. But the Sunday school superintendent told me, he said when he came and preached, you know, we, we, we were down to about 27. Actually, uh, the most they'd ever had in the history of the church was 67 in Sunday school. That's children and everybody. So he said after he was here for a while, now here are principles you put in operation. After he was here for a little while, he got up and announced one Sunday, and we'd gotten up to a little over 30. He said, in 90 days, we'll be averaging 60 in Sunday school. And this Sunday school superintendent told me, in fact, he's almost the only man he had in the church, most of them women in the church. said, I went to him and said, now you're young and all that. But we had Reverend so-and-so here, very outstanding. And that's when we got up to that 67. I know you mean well, but it's just not going to work. No, he said, I told you, I don't mean we'll just, have, we'll just peak there. I mean, we'll be averaging that. That's, that's our average. We'll, he said, 90 days' time, we was averaging 60. He got up and announced, another 90 days, we'll be averaging 90. 
And I went to him and said, now, 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 you, you know, you're just real lucky <laughs> that that other worked. But now, uh, you know, remind him again, brother so-and-so and then brother so-and-so's here. And, and they were outstanding. And 67 is the most. But he said in 90 days, we was average. I don't mean we just hit that number and then went back down. We was average in 90. He got up and announced that another 90 days we'll be averaging 120. Well, I said, I'm, uh, I don't, nah, 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 I'm fine on that 90, but I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, I, but this time I'll keep my mouth shut and just wait and watch. And so he said, another 90 days, we're averaging 120. See, he put these principles in operation because he kept saying it. For she said, for she said, for she said, for she said. Amen? Amen. So he said, we're averaging 120. They got a little frame building, you know, and the... You know, used to build full gospel churches plumbing nearly. Plumb out of town nearly in the country. Well, they were out at plumbing nearly, see. But they'd put a new highway to, a beautiful highway to. So he got up and announced, we're going to build a new brick church down on the highway. This Sunday school superintendent told me, he said, when he said that, I jumped up and said, yeah, bless God, if you said it, I believe it, I'll give the first thousand on it. <laughs> And he said, my wife will give the second thousand. And he said, my daddy's not even here. And that little old town is just one bank. His daddy owned it and he's president of it. He said, my daddy will give the third thousand. And my mama will give the fourth thousand. And if anybody doubts it, let them see me. <laughs> Boy, they went to work on it. <laughs> well, now you see, you couldn't just get up. That had to be a principle. Not just a step that you take and you're there. A man farming. He couldn't go out there tomorrow and start planting, I mean, start reaping wheat or cotton. When the right time comes to plant it, he can plant it. He can put the, the principles into operation and when the harvest comes, can reap it. But he can't just say it and go out and, and, and start gathering tomatoes, you know, in your backyard and you never even planted any. Are you seeing what I'm saying to you? You'll find very often in the area of finances, listen to me real carefully, very often in the area of finances, unless there's immediate need, that these are principles you have to put in operation over a period of time to make them work for you. But thank God God's Word works. I said, thank God God's Word works. I said, thank God God's Word works. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's take first step and close. We'll pick up on the second one tomorrow night. Jesus asked me, oh no, we'd be here to midnight. We went over all this and tried to explain it to you in detail. Jesus asked me then, he said, what was the first step that this woman made or took toward receiving healing? Now remember Brother Narval Hayes said one time that the Lord said to him, teach people to do just what people in the Bible did and they'll receive their healing. You see, a lot of times the way we've been thought, we just thought Jesus did it. They didn't have anything to do with it. But as you read through the four Gospels, you'll find again and again and again that they had something to do with it. People did. Amen? Amen. Teach people, Norbert said, the Holy Ghost said to him, the Lord said to him, teach people to do whatever they did in the Bible, see, in the four Gospels, and they'll always receive their healing. What did they do? All right, Jesus asked me that. Nobody ever asked me that before. I didn't know any such person existed as Hayes then. 
years later before I saw him. I mean, you know, it was uh, 20 years later before I met him. What was the first step this woman took, made? Well, I, I really didn't know. And I'd prided myself. I read the New Testament through 150 times. Portion of, I'd read this portion of Scripture over 150 times. You think you know everything the Scripture said. Don't care how many hundred times you read it. You don't always know it. It takes the Holy Ghost to open it up to you. Make it real to you. You've read verses for years and chapters and Scriptures for years. Then you read it again one day and suddenly revelation of it comes. It's Amen. What is the first step? Well, I, I knew, of course, that the 24th ver, uh, 25th verse said there's a certain one with the issue of blood, suffer many things and many physicians. 26th verse, you know, suffer many things and many physicians, nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard, 27th verse said, then when she had heard of Jesus, I said, well, it said when she heard of Jesus. He said, well, no, that's not something. That's not a step that she took. The person that came and told her took the step. See that? What was the first step that she took? I really didn't know. And I'd read that. It's so simple. He said, it says, for she said. Well, I'd been preaching that since 51. <laughs> it didn't dawn on me. He said, step number one, say it. Say it. Then Jesus said to me, Positive or negative? I'm quoting in verbatim now. Positive or negative? It's up to you. He said, this woman could have said, I've suffered so many things of many physicians. Scripture said she had. I've suffered 12 long years. I've spent all my money. All my living's gone. I don't have anything left. I might as well go ahead and die. He said, if she had said that, that would have been what she would have received. Positive or negative, it's up to you. Well, now, I took my cue from what he said. And some of you folks, there may be some people present because I preached all over Texas. And back there in those early 50s when I started this, and then, this, see, this added to it. Because I held church meetings. And I very seldom would leave a church with folks Anybody, be mighty few of them, that failed to receive their healing. And never did leave one. Anybody failed to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not a what? But what did you do? Well, I learned from this. I would tell people a lot of times, because you'd lay hands on them, and being in the church that way, and holding meetings three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, even nine weeks in the same church, you had plenty of time to teach in the daytime. Two services a day, you see. I'd tell people, maybe I've laid hands on three times to be healed and not healed. Or three times, or more or less, to be filled with the Spirit. And I'd say to them, don't come back tomorrow night. Now, in small churches, I'd only lay hands on people on Tuesday and Friday night. Larger churches every night. Don't come back tomorrow night for hands to be laid on you. Don't come back the next night. Never did tell anybody to go over three days. And actually, you counted that first night, the first day. So actually, the third night would only be 48 hours from the time you're talking to them. See, two days, really, hour-wise. Never told anybody to go any longer than that. I said, now, 
Now don't come in the line, but now you do this. You say, next time I go and he lays hands on me, I'll be healed. They'd say, well, I don't know whether we'll not. I said, that's all right, just forget about that. Whether you believe it or not, you go to bed saying it, you go to sleep saying it, see to it that you say it. When you wake up in the night, say it. When you get up in the morning, say it. On your job, don't say it out loud. People think you're a nut. Say it to yourself. If you're by yourself, say it out loud. The next time I go and he lays hands on me, I'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. The next time I go and he lays hands on me, I'll be healed. See, you can school yourself into faith. How do people school themselves in unbelief? By talking it. By talking it. It's exactly the way they school themselves into it. Amen? By talking it. How in the world do people school themselves into poverty? By talking poverty and lack. How do you school yourself into prosperity? By talking it. By saying it. I went down to hold a meeting in East Texas. Well, I remember uh, I was dated to go to another place and God kept dealing with me. And it's in December, you see. And I'm to go to the next place after I go home for Christmas, then in January. Well, you don't want to miss put anybody, and I won't do it. I just simply won't do it. Always prefer your brother above yourself. Amen. Don't, don't, don't hurt anybody or mistreat anybody, see, or misput anybody. And but, but in the nighttime, God kept dealing with me. So the third night, I said, Lord, I'll call that pastor, and I'll tell him what you're saying to me. And if he'll let me off, if he doesn't, I'll go right on because I'm a man of my word. I keep my word. So, this, after this third night, I, I decided to wait, you know, till after five o'clock, long distance rates were, were, were cheaper, you know. I was standing in the parking, so I picked up the phone. I was going to call and then get the charges so I could pay the pastor. I asked him to pay for the call. And about the time I started to pick up the receiver, it rang. So I just picked it up and said, you know, this is a so-and-so church parsonage. And a lady said, I have a long-distance telephone call for Reverend Kenneth Hagin. I said, this is he. She said to somebody, go ahead. So the pastor came on and said, Doc, uh, you're coming on to me and you get through over there. Well, you're going home for Christmas, I know, but you're coming first Sunday after January. I mean, after Christmas, last Sunday of the month. You know, January, then you'll be here. Yeah, I said, I plan to. See, I didn't tell him. I'm going to see what he's going to say for well, he said, now, uh, we want you to come on. But he said, I, I thought I'd call and tell you, uh, emergency reason, I'm going to have to be gone. I'll be here on Sunday night to start the meeting off. Then I'm going to have to be gone for a week. But we've got all the arrangements made, you know, and everything's fine. Well, I said, you just save me a long-distance call. I'm about to pick up the, well, he said, what do you have in mind? Well, I said, I'm going to leave it strictly to you. But I said, the last three nights, the Holy Ghost has been dealing with me not to come at this time. And if it's all right with you, now, if you say come, I'll come. But if it's all right with you, I'll not come at this time. Oh, my, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, he said. I really needed to be gone two weeks. This is a, an emergency. It's, it's a thing that's arisen, and I have to be in another state. And he said, fine, it won't misput us at all. But he said, we didn't want to misput you. I said, don't bother about me, man. If I took all the calls I got, I could preach two weeks over into the millennium. <laughs> Amen. I said, don't bother about me. So, Fine, he said, you will come to us. Yeah, I said, I'll come. Well, I did. It took me two years to get there, but I finally made it. 
So I hung up the phone. Now he let me off, you know, and I said, now, Lord, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'll be off at Christmas time, lose some time. I'm sure you want me to go to Brother So-and-So's. He had written me. He had phoned me. He had talked to me personally. Got a new auditorium. Brand new. Brand new. Just got into it. He'll guarantee it. Big church, see. City church. He'll guarantee me a full house every night. Well, you got that kind of crowd. You don't, you, know, you don't have to believe much for money. I mean, you get a good offer, you know. I'm sure you want me to go there. I said, no, I don't want you to go there. Well, where do you want me to go? The Lord sent me off down in the country. A country church. Little one-room Sunday school. I mean, church building, no Sunday school rooms. I mean, they, they only had about 70 women, children, babies. I mean, anything that moved, they counted. <laughs> Way down. I mean, backing up in the upper edge of the big thicket. In the country, close to the Louisiana line. You thought you was getting to the jumping off place before you got there. You never saw such a place in your life. I'd been down there and I said, Lord, surely you don't want me to go down there. Yeah, I want you to go there. Fella had written and asked me if I would. Now I said, Lord, you, you know what it takes to meet my budget. And I know down there at a little country church, you know, I mean, I'm going to expect you to meet my budget in that small church and down in the country just like you do in the city in the big church. Well, he said, you do the going and I'll do the doing. <laughs> so I went. I drove down there Sunday, last Sunday of the year. Got down there just a little bit before church time. Got my stuff out, you know, in the parsonage next door. Decided I'd get me a drink of water. And went to the kitchen, get me a drink of water. The pastor come in, he's eating something or something, and I eat a little something, a little, little bite of something. And he said, Brother Egan, I started to call you and tell you not to come. Man, he said, you know, this is, this is a, we have two main crops year here. Cotton tomatoes. The bovee was got the cotton. The drought got the tomatoes. Nobody made a crop. We couldn't promise you a dime. Well, I said, I didn't ask you for a dime, did I? He said, no. But he said, I know you got a family to support, and we couldn't promise you a dime. I said, uh, now, Ben, as you brought up the subject, I wouldn't have brought it up. I never talked to anybody about money. But I said, uh, I'm talking about me personally. I'll talk to him about Raymond, but not me personally. I said, Ben, as you brought up the subject, don't get up there and tell people. Now, I know you can't give because we had a cotton crop failure, had a tomato crop failure, because you just got through telling them not to give. She said, spoke negative, said the wrong thing. I said, if you're going to say anything, say the Bible said the cattle of a thousand hills is the Lord's. The silver and the gold is the Lord's. The world, the fullness thereof is the Lord's. And whatever belongs to the Lord belongs to us because we are all his children. We're well able to give this receive the offering. I said, don't make any pull now. Don't make any pull now. That's all right under some conditions. But this wasn't the place for it. Don't ask, because down in East Texas they did that. Who'll give five? Who'll give ten? Don't, don't do that. Just pass the plate. Why, he said, Brother Hagin, you won't get a quarter a week. I said, fine. If I don't, I'll just go, you won't hear me cry. I'll not say a word. Just go off as happy as I can be. Well, I didn't expect him to really do that, but he just, I, I just gave him some a principle. But he just said it verbatim. Well, you see, I started Sunday night. 
Then after I got there, I got into the week, you know, and, and we just, I'd always just set a starting place for a meeting. I'd never, never say, I'll, I'll stay till the Lord says so. And I saw then that, the, that this was going to be a 10-day meeting, which I very seldom had. But I said, now, Lord, uh, and so I notified the next fellow, I'll start with him the next Sunday. But I'm there one Sunday, you know, for the morning service. And I'm sitting in the pastor's Bible class, right to back and right behind me is another class and right behind them is another class and in the center you know two or three classes and over on the other side everything's in one room man I couldn't hear anything he said I didn't have to get half what he said so I said to him why in the world you're down here in East Texas lumber galore everywhere why don't you build an addition across the back of this little old church anyway see you know, a T across there. How Sunday school rooms are for the children anyway, up to, up through the juniors, you know. I didn't get a thing out of that, trying to listen to you. And I know they don't get much out of that. Well, he said we were going to. I saw a Baptist fellow over here. Thank God for the Baptist. He had a, you know, sawmill. And, and, and I, he offered to sell lumber, every, get everything but the windows and the doors, even the door facings for so much money. In fact, the man himself would give him part of the cost, 10, 10% less. But we couldn't do it. He said, you know, we had a cotton crop failure. We had a tomato crop failure. <laughs> I got up there and said to him when I took the, he wanted me to preach. So I said when I got up to preach, folks, you know, uh, I found out you can buy this for this amount of money. And I'm just, uh, you know, I don't live here, but I sat there and tried to listen. I'd give so much money on that. People all over the building just spoke up and said, because see, we had 32. I saw what God sent me there to do. He'll send you to do different churches to do different things. That man had one man in the church when he went there that supported the church. He worked. The pastor did. He had one man in the church. Some came, but just one. 32 people came to be filled with the Spirit. 34 came. 32 out of the 34 received the Holy Ghost instantly when I touched them. And out of that number, there were 13 grown men. And out of the 13 grown men, 12 of them were married with families. And he had 12 in one week's time. He's got 12 brand new families in his church. You think God don't know what he's doing? He had one family in the church. See, one man and wife. He had some women, but that's not a family. See what I mean? 12 brand new ones. So they... Uh, we got the money. I said to him, why didn't you buy, you know, we're down in the country. I, I, we're talking about in the 50s. We're not talking about way back yonder. They heated that building. You see, in the wintertime, they heated that building, a little wood stove out in the middle of the thing. You just freeze, you know. You get away from that. Heated the parsonage with a wood stove, one of those sheet iron heaters, you know. Cooked in, the, you know, with, with the, one of those old kerosene cook stoves. Couldn't get parts. Everything you ate tastes like kerosene. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about way back then. I'm talking about just back in the 50s. I said, why don't you get a butane system? Heat this church. Heat this parsonage. Well, now man down at Center, Texas, again, Baptist. Thank God for the Baptist. Good Baptist man. I had him check it out. And he had furnished a cook stove, heating stoves, both for the church and, and for the parsonage. And, and a big tank out back, you know. And he said if we'd give him a tax write-off, you see, he'd sell it to us a cost and then give us 10% out of his pocket. You give him a receipt for that. 
Dear Lord, I said, how much was it? He told me. I said, let's get that. Oh, Brother Hagin, we had a cotton crop field. We had a tomato crop field. So I got up there that night and raised that money in just a few seconds. Just a few seconds. He said to me, you know what? And, and, and then not only that, but I claim, it's not much money now, but back there then, I had to have a minimum of $150 just to meet my budget. But in the 10 days' time, I had 200 and some odd dollars, 240 some odd dollars. And he said to me, you know, they just hired me. got one man in the church. I get the Sunday morning tithes and offerings. All of it goes to him, that one man's tithes. The ladies would put in something if they had it. So he worked because he's a carpenter for a living. He said, I've never gotten over $12 in any one week. Most of the time, uh, less than $10 a week. Well, you can see. He said, you know what my tithes was this morning? I said, no. I said, $268.35. Glory to God. I left him with a paying church. <laughs> God said, go. But now, wait a minute. Here's what I started to tell you. See, he's talking himself out of it. He said, I see it. I see it. I see it. See, say it. Stand up, everybody. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You listen so good, I tell you. You folks just soak it up like a sponge. You can just go all night long here. Amen. Hallelujah. We'll pick up here tomorrow night. We're ah, we going to have fun this week. This is you, Everybody you meet, you tell them this is fun week. <laughs> Woo! Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. Praise God. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.